We went out to dinner. My, uh, my wife's sister, Becky, is in town, along with her husband, Joe, and they're from Texas. And so we thought, well, we'll bring them out to dinner. So we went to this place. Well, you know, first of all, that we discussed barbecue, but like that got over really quick because you don't bring a Texan to Washington barbecue. I mean, unless you're asking for like a problem. But anyway, so we brought them up. We brought them up to the South Hill. We found this restaurant. They, had, they were known for good food, good desserts. We ordered the meal. They ended up splitting a meal, and we did too, and they got a chicken sandwich. And, and I'm telling you, they were shocked when they got this sandwich. And it wasn't a good shock. It was a bad shock. Because Joe's sandwich was like the chicken was so small, he was measuring it. And it was like a chicken McNugget on a piece of communion bread. It was so small. And so we're laughing about that, talking about that. He's comparing that to, you know, food in Texas. And finally, we're like, we're going to redeem ourselves. So we ordered the biggest, best dessert they had. It was like this big mango chocolate chip cookie, freshly baked with gooey sauce and peanut butter and everything and topped with a big scoop of ice cream. And so we're like, that's what we want. It's eight bucks. I don't care. Bring it out here. They brought it out. They brought it with like four forks and four spoons. We're all going to share this together. And I'm not exaggerating. The ice cream on the top was like, you know those little balls of butter you get for your bread? (laughs) It was. That's the size that it was. And we're just like, our eyes are big. We are shocked. We don't know what to do. Who gets the one bite of ice cream? We're not sure. And I'm thinking, surely something's wrong. It's melted, something, somebody made a mistake somewhere. So I call the waitress back. I just say, hey, would you mind, you know, kind of thinking she would look at it and be embarrassed. And I said, hey, you know, kind of the ice cream, you know, could you bring us a a scoop, a real scoop? And so she goes back and she comes back later and it's another little melon ball. (laughs) She puts it down and charges us for it. I know. I know. And you want to know where it is, and I'm not going to tell you. But the, the, the reality is, is how incensed we can get over the smallest injustices and yet overlook and not even really be moved by some of the bigger injustices in our society. It's just, it's, it's just interesting that that's how we tend to be. You know, I can get pretty mad over some car like sliding into my parking spot over at Costco, but then overlook, you know, other bigger things going on in the world. When I was a kid at school, I remember, you know, being just so angry when someone would cut in line in the lunch line. But then I could sit down at a table and some kid who was socially awkward would be being made fun of and bullied and I wouldn't care. Something is wrong in the human heart, right? Something is wrong with that. And uh, we're talking about a series. We started a series a couple weeks ago called Well Done. And we're talking uh, in this series about key areas that God has put us kind of in charge of, made us stewards of. And a steward, you'll remember, is someone who's been given a trust. We're managing somebody else's resources. And we talked about uh, managing kind of the life God has given us. He's placed spiritual gifts in your life. He's given you talents. He's given you 
at certain level, all of us different measures of energy and creativity. And so we're responsible to develop that and use that. And last week, uh, Scott talked about money, that no matter whether you have a tiny little amount or whether you have a large amount, we're all responsible to steward the money that God has put within our trust. And a matter of fact, he's, he looks at that, of, of how we manage some of those stewardships to the real treasures, which are people. We're going to talk about that today, the stewardship of people, people, God's prized possession, and not just any people, but specifically people who are pushed to the edges of society, the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, people who are experiencing discrimination or prejudice or any other type of injustice. And you know, the reason why this stewardship is so important is because God loves people, that he's for people. And God in the Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, is the very same God in the New Testament. Some people get that mixed up and think, you know, oh, you know, God in the Old Testament seemed a bit upset, like he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And then God in the New Testament, yeah, that's, that's the God that I want to follow. Did you know God is filled with love and justice all the way through the scripture from in the old and the new. And social justice is not a new thing. It's not like a new thing that we're talking about. Social justice has been around. It's not new, it's old. Matter of fact, if you have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to open it to Genesis chapter one. We'll just see, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of root this concept of love and justice just in, in the story of creation. It's thrilling. You read the story of creation, and what we're told is in the beginning, our home in the universe, the earth, it was formless and void. It was covered with water, shrouded in darkness, and then the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And as the days of creation unfold, he, he forms the earth, and he fills it, and he separates the day from the night, and he creates the heavens and the earth. And then he begins to make plants and animals and the fish of the sea and everything after its own kind. And then on day six, something spectacular happens. God crowns his creation, making man a person, a human person in his own image. So God, it says, Created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Surprising as it is, man is made according to God's kind. Made in the image of God, the theological term used is amago dei. Man made in the image of God. Because we're made in his image, all human persons have this intrinsic value. They were created with value, and God cared about it, and he gave it as part of a stewardship to us. Every human person made in his image. So then we read in chapter 4 of Genesis about the first taking of a human life. Cain and Abel, brothers. Cain murders his brother Abel out of jealousy, and God has to bring justice to the situation. God comes to Cain and he says, where's your brother? And Cain says, how am I to know, right? He's like, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? What an arrogant and self-centered thing to say. 
God doesn't even pay attention to that. And he says, well, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And of course, the obvious answer to this stupid rhetorical question that Cain asks is, of course, you're your brother's keeper. You're, You're the keeper of human life. You have a stewardship. You're never to use your power or your position or your might to overpower and oppress another human person made in my image. You are your brother's keeper. Later in the Old Testament, God gives the law to Moses. And this law is unlike any other law that had ever been given in a religious system, in the way that it cared for the outcast, in the way that that justice was tied and truth and love was tied into every fabric of the law, that it was to be implemented in society. It emphasizes details like no other to the less advantaged. Some people think of the Old Testament Mosaic Law as the strict law, you know, where God doesn't have love, and, and yet he has more love than you'll ever imagine. In the way that he honors human persons. I mean, you just read throughout the law, and you'll see all of this care given. Throughout the Bible, we see God over and over fending for those nobody else would fend for. The master of life is saying, steward the whole earth. That means stewarding my most prized possessions, which are people made in my image, especially those who are ignored, oppressed, or taken advantage of. I mean, just read, and you'll, see, you'll just see this pop out all over the place throughout the entire Bible. Give to the poor. Take in the refugee. Care for the widow and orphan. Assist the unemployed. Comfort the grieving. Protect the unborn. Elevate women. Bind up the brokenhearted. Love the sinner. Liberate the oppressed. These are themes that are repeated over and over again in the Old and in the New Testament. Even our very legal system here in the United States was built upon much of the biblical law because of how expansive it was and how just it was to care for all people, especially those who were being oppressed. Why? Because God cares. He cares about people, any people, and especially people who are experiencing hate or prejudice or violence or oppression by those who are in privilege or have authority. And those of us who do have privilege, and you know, many of us in the room, we do have privilege, whether we're like consciously aware of it or not. And I'm speaking to myself. I'm pointing a finger at me. And and I'm going to point it out, and it might make you feel uncomfortable. And I'm not saying that you're responsible for this happening in our society, but it's so important that we recognize that it is happening so that we can actually try and do something about it, try and help others through it. First, I was born in America. I mean, that's a privilege. That is an amazing privilege not everybody around the world has had, and because of that, I'm afforded certain rights and certain care and certain protection that not everybody is given. Secondly, I was born white. And being born white here in this country means that I experience certain kinds of privilege that I can easily take for granted. This society has been bent in my favor for a very long time. Third, I was born a man. Men have been enjoying privileges and advancement that have been denied to women for thousands of years. 
And too often when we're ignorant to that, then it's very easy to, whether intentionally or unintentionally, oppress through our position or our power. Fourth, I was encouraged to pursue education. I was helped with my education. I was encouraged throughout my life. I was helped financially with it in advanced education as well. Not everyone is. Not everyone is afforded that. Fifth, I have enough money to own a house and have a car, go on a vacation every now and then. That's a privilege. Not everybody has that. I get to drink clean water every day. I get to walk into my neighborhood and feel relatively safe every day. If my rights are violated, I can kind of lean on the law and the courts to give me a fair shake. That's not automatic for everybody. Yes, there is discrimination that happens to others that's less likely to happen to me. And so that might, make, that might create a tension in you. I know it's uncomfortable to, to even talk about, but we need to be aware of it, not ignorant of it, so that we can help other people. Let's not make the mistake of thinking just because we have certain things that it's because we're smarter, or we worked harder, or we managed our money better. I mean, we, we're not all born with equal opportunity. That's just not true. There are still gross injustices that are happening in the world and in our country and in our city. The truth is that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to wrap your arms around, to live in that tension, to think about that. One example I'll give you, prejudice against people of color. It's still going on. Sure, it may not be as prevalent in our town as it is in other maybe major cities in, in the country, but uh, it's still real. I was talking to my brother-in-law who was visiting, a pastor in Texas. He, uh, he's a pastor from Texas. He was visiting. We had a mutual friend. He was recounting this conversation he had with our mutual friend and, uh, about racial reconciliation. And his friend said, why do we keep talking about that? Why are we trying to fight for that? You know, he, he said, when I was a kid, blacks couldn't drink from the white drinking fountain. And now they can. We solved that in the 60s. Why are we still talking about it? He's like, it's a perceived problem. And what we ought to be working on is helping people of color to see that it's no longer a problem. And the problem is that's insanely ignorant. That there is still a problem. There is still prejudice that's real. We've made progress by all means, but there's still a lot of work to be done. It's not just a perceived issue, it's a real issue. So what are the areas of privilege that maybe, I've told you some of mine, what, what are some of the ones that maybe affect you? What blessings have you been given? What advantages do you enjoy that everybody else doesn't automatically enjoy? All of those things put a larger responsibility on us, a stewardship on our shoulders. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And for me to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that means I've got to not be ignorant to that. And I've got to go, okay, God, you want me to care. You want me to be involved. I have a responsibility here. Now, we can't solve every issue. We can't right every wrong. We can't be involved in every cause. 
We can't give equal time or money or focus to every injustice, but we can all do something. I can't do everything, but I can do something. So what is it that God has put in your heart to do? What group of people to care about specifically? Maybe it's fostering or adopting a child in need. Maybe it's mentoring a young mom who's uncertain of whether to carry her baby to term and to birth her baby. Maybe it's elevating someone who has a special need and helping them in their life. Maybe it's helping a new refugee family who moves here to fleeing persecution and just help them find friends and find a job. Maybe it's to assist in helping people who are struggling with food and clothing or to provide someone who's struggling with domestic abuse to get out of that. See, we as a church are connected to many wonderful leaders and organizations, both in our city and around the world, that we can help you connect to that passion that God has placed in your heart to be involved, to care, to not do everything, but to do something. And you say, well, what might that be? And it's important that we each contend with this and kind of pray about this to figure out, God, how do you want to use me? And two of the things that, that you can use as maybe a guide is, one, what boils your blood? What makes your blood boil? When you see it in, 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 our, in a situation happening in our, in our country or in our city, you read about it or you experience it or you see somebody else being taken advantage of, it angers you. Pay attention to that because that could be one of the things God is using to help you say, to help you see that God wants you to be a part of a solution. Or maybe it's not an area that boils your blood, it's an area that melts your heart. Something that God has just given you an unusual compassion towards a certain people group. Pay attention to that because not everybody probably shares that with you and God is probably trying to get your attention. Now, let me give you a caution. Maybe you know. Maybe you know what that passion is for you. Maybe you know the area of justice that God wants you to seek and kind of go after and be involved in. Be, be careful that not everybody shares your exact same passion, right? It's really easy to get, go all in on something and care deeply about something and then kind of almost get mad at everybody else because they're not seeing it how you see it. They're not giving at the level you're giving. They're not providing their time or their resources. Be careful of that. Be careful because the, the truth is we all have different areas that God has called us to. We're not all supposed to be involved in exactly the same area. Sure, we all should be caring about love and justice, but you might have a passion towards one thing and I might have a passion towards another. As a pastor, I have people coming every week wanting our church to share equally in the passion that they have for something going on in the city or in the world. And we can't, right? We can care about some things, but we can't care about everything. Let me give you a personal illustration. Like with our money in, in our life, with Tisa and myself, uh, we tithe every couple weeks to this church because it's our home church. And we believe that the Bible teaches that our first responsibility of giving is to our local church, to the building up of God's kingdom, to transform lives. And so we do that faithfully. 
But there's another kind of giving that the Bible talks about called alms. Alms are a specific kind of giving towards need that we get to do in, above and beyond our tithe, that we, we get to kind of exercise that passion of the heart, the thing that boils our blood and melts our heart, and we get to give towards it. And so we do that regularly as well. And the thing that we most, you know, we ourselves, Tisa and, and myself, give towards regularly is some stuff, missionary types of work. And then food and clothing here in our city. It's just those are the things that there's so many things we could give to, right? But for us, those are the things that we regularly give to above and beyond our tithe. Where is it that God is calling you personally to be involved? Maybe with some of your time or some of your talent or some of your treasure. We can't do everything, but we can each do something. We each have a unique contribution to make. Social justice is not new, it's old, and it's seen throughout the Bible, and it's rooted in the very heart and character of God. Often when the prophets would prophesy, when they would call Israel to repentance, it would often include areas of social justice. For example, in Isaiah 58, when God is speaking uh, to his people, to Israel, and they're repenting, and they're coming to him, and they're fasting, and they're going days without food and they're praying and they're just trying to seek God. And uh, God speaks to them pretty clearly. And he says this in Isaiah 58, verse 6. He says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. What a challenging passage that is. That you think of all of the things that we do to connect with God and, and, and meet with God, praying, reading the Bible, fasting, journaling, coming to church, and all of those things are awesome. All of those things are important. But God says if you do all of those things and you don't care about justice and you don't care about those that are being oppressed and those that are marginalized and those that are, that are um, being taken advantage of, then I'm not happy. He says, but if you care about that, then when you pray and when you read and when you fast, I'll meet with you and you'll be blown away by what I'll do for you. The prophet Micah, he said it this way, speaking at a different time, a different place, but still to God's people. He says, he, he God, has told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He's like, you're making it too complicated. It's not just this long list of rules to do and kind of obligations to keep. Just do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. This challenge, the stewardship of human persons is seen 
everywhere throughout the scripture and nowhere clearer than in the very life and ministry of Jesus Christ, God's son. Jesus constantly challenged the status quo of his society, feeding the poor, reaching out and touching lepers, befriending prostitutes, eating and drinking with sinners, defending the woman caught in adultery from male privilege and hypocrisy. See, those in position, those in power, and those with the greatest resource were often the last to follow Jesus, the most afraid to follow Jesus. They were counting all the things that they might have to give up, and yet those who were poor and marginalized and outcasted because they were so loved by God and accepted and brought in, they followed him and flocked to him in the thousands. His love is open to everyone. His grace is given to all. Whoever is thirsty, he says, come, drink. The last passage I wanted to share comes from Matthew chapter 25, and it's really where we started this series. It's just a different parable. Jesus is again talking about how he's going to come back one day. And he wanted his disciples to know this and to live with a sense of expectancy that one day I'm coming back. And he says, in light of me coming back, this is how I want you to live. And so it's another one of those examples. And in Matthew 25, verse 31, he said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's another form of well done, good and faithful service, servant. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Sheep have a transformed heart. Sheep have been forgiven a lot, and they know it. And so they're able to love much. These aren't the things we do in order to become a Christian. These aren't the things we do to try and get God to be happy with us. No, we come to God needy ourselves, broken and impoverished. And we ask God to forgive us. And because of Jesus, he does. And then because of a transformed heart and nature, because the Holy Spirit now abides and lives in you and through you, we begin to care about new things, things that matter to God, love and justice. You are made in God's image. And so are the people who are most unlike you. That means people with different values, people with different sexual orientation, different religions, different political views. 
And to show love and show dignity to other people does not necessarily mean you agree with them on everything. It means that you make a choice to love them and to show kindness and respect because they're made in God's very image. So let me just ask you again, what injustice will, does God want you to be involved partnering with him in doing something in this world? Caring about. No, you can't care about everything. You, matter of fact, you can be crushed by human need. And God doesn't want you to be crushed, but he does want your heart to be broken. One person, uh, Bob Pierce, founder of Samaritan's Purse, said, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Jesus himself suffered injustice. He came to this earth as a sinless man, God's one and only son. And all he did was love people, serve people, fight injustice, stand up for those that were being put down by position and power. And at 33, the world turned against him and in the most unjust act ever, killed him, murdered him, hung him on a cross brutally torturing him. And he died for you and me, for the whole world. The innocent died for the guilty. And it's God's heart of love for this world and his heart of love for you and his heart of love for people and especially those that are being outed that he died for and he cares about. And he cares about justice because he cares so deeply about love. So let's turn to him this morning. And maybe for some of us, we just need to receive this God of love, this God of justice in our heart and just say, Lord, come in and take residence up in me. Change my heart, transform me so that I begin to care about the things that you care about. For others of us, maybe we just need to say, God, bring clarity to my time, my heart, my money, so that I know how to invest it well, not just in myself and my family, not just to be a good steward over the things that are in, in my immediate control, but what is it that you want me to be a part of in helping lift up some other people? People are made in God's image. Therefore, they have intrinsic value, and we have a stewardship to join God in the things he cares about. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. And we just say thank you, God. Thank you for sending Jesus into this unjust world, into this broken and sinful world. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, God, that your death paid the penalty of my sin. And I receive that forgiveness today. Maybe that's you. Would you just receive it? He's poured it out on you. I receive it, Lord. I receive forgiveness for all of my sin. And I'm asking now, God, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and transform my heart. That I begin to think different and I begin to care different. Lord, I want to enter into that stewardship of love and justice. And I want to do it from a heart of love. I want to do it from a transformed heart. Not trying to earn anything, but
but just because I believe that that's what you care about. God, show each one of us where we fit. Show each one of us, Lord, the thing that we can participate in. However small, however great it may be, Lord, would you help each one just continue to gain more and more insight, more and more understanding about the areas that we can participate in that make a real difference in other people's lives. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Pastor Mike, for a great, powerful message. Um, let's be people of justice and be praying about where God wants us to take action in our lives. Um, and we're going to continue this well done series next week. So bring a friend to join you next week. It's going to be great. And like I said before, if you're new to the church, come meet me over here and we'll talk. And um, if you have any prayer needs, go join the prayer team over there. Have a great Sunday. See you next time.